I'm Tori, holistic health and life coach and founder of T-Balance, my coaching practice that helps people become the best versions of themselves by looking at all areas of life. And this is my podcast, where I chat to many incredible souls about all things balance, wellness, nutrition, hypnotherapy, sex, and much more. The previous episode was with self-proclaimed addict Nicola Vivian, who tragically lost her beloved boyfriend at just 24 to a heroin overdose. We talked about addiction as a whole and how she fell into her own addiction of helping others, commonly known as codependency. It was a true heart-to-heart about both of our experiences, and if you haven't already listened, then be sure to do so afterwards. Today is actually a big moment for the podcast because I have my first male guest on board. William Pullen is here with me and William is a qualified psychotherapist and he's here to tell us all about his theory called dynamic running therapy. By combining movement with talking therapy, DRT addresses the different elements of the human operating system, capitalising on the synergy found in the mind, body and spirit. We have found that when people make progress in one of these areas, it is often also experienced in another. William believes that change comes about by clearing a path to where we want to be, not forcing our way through to it. In this episode, prepare to learn how walking or running with a thought helps to drastically break down one's blockages. We discuss what an empathy walk is and how this can immensely create intimacy in your relationships. Let's get to it and I hope you enjoy the episode. William, hello, it's lovely to have you here and I'm so glad that we have been connected because I'm always looking for new ways to help people and help myself and I've found your concept of dynamic running therapy beyond interesting. Um, So I'm really excited to chat to you and hear all about it in greater detail but before we jump into that I would love to know a little bit about your history and your past and how you came into therapy. Okay so well it's really nice to be here too. Like most therapists, I have a murky past. It's not all murk, it's not all mud and darkness, but uh, no, there's plenty of light in there. But um, as you can see in my, my uh, TEDx talk, there is, um, like a lot of therapists, there's a, there's a moment of crisis, and that crisis took me into therapy. And I adopted running at that time too, because I thought it would be good for me to, to combat my depression, get out, move, and... Mm. And then I decided to train to be a therapist, and then I realized that I could put the two together and create this, uh, this, this approach to therapy I call dynamic running therapy, which is really just a fusion of, of, of running and, and regular talk therapy. Mm, amazing. And so tell us about dynamic running therapy. How does it actually work, and what exactly is it? Well, there needs to be a distinction between the therapy, the dynamic running therapy you can do if you download the app, the dynamic running therapy you do if you read the book, and the dynamic therapy you would do if you meet with me, because mm-hmm. each one is slightly different. Um, if it's with, well, all of them have the advantage of using the body and using the body to get from A to B. So particularly with therapy and, uh, and uh, with depression and anxiety, we find ourselves quite trapped in our minds. We find ourselves slowed down. Um, and so this gets you moving. And you move the body, you move the mind, you move the emotions. And the emotions move with good exercise, as you know. It, it can feel very, very healing. Also, I think being stuck is such a critical component of, of, of depression that if I can get somebody from A to B, then you no longer feel so stuck mm. in your mind and in, in, in your heart. Another really important piece is that in the 
process of moving, I believe, and this is what I noticed as, as I was running and doing therapy myself or undergoing therapy myself, is I noticed that the, the action of movement would help me free up ideas in my mind. I would find myself able to communicate them more easily, to identify what I was saying, and to work through them more easily. So the long-winded answer to your question is, is, is roughly speaking, that's how it works. So all these other components around power, around the therapeutic alliance, because I move when I'm there, or even if you're listening to the app, there's a sense of me being there with you and taking the same journey that you're on. Whereas if we do that in, a, in an office, it's just office-based therapy, then you have to come to me. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah, it's so nice. And I think that actually more and more people are really wanting to have their therapist on tap. I certainly, with my coaching, I'm sort of people have 24 7 access well, yeah. within reason to me. So it's nice actually in the app. I'm not a runner myself, but I have sort of moved my way around your app and done the walking meditation and the like three minute mindfulness yeah. exercise and okay. the grounding exercise. But we'll come on to that. But yeah, I think it's so nice to have you just there asking the questions and then you sort of leave time for people to think about what it is that they need to be thinking about. And yeah. there's a record button, isn't there? Like yeah. So can you explain? Yeah. So if on the app, for instance, there's mindful walking, mindful running, and then there are these, and meditation, and there are these programs, 20 sessions for moving. I call it running, but you can also walk with it. It works almost as well, maybe just as well. Uh, 20 sessions for depression and 20 for anxiety. The whole thing's free, by the way, throughout it, which Mm -hmm. I'm quite proud of. Um, As you do those 20 sessions, which are 20 minutes each, you will hear me talking about the question of the day. Say it's anxiety. How do you relate to your anxiety? What are your expectations around happiness and peace and anxiety and performance and who you should be and who, who told you who you should be and why are you disappointed to you? All these different questions that I take you through. And I talk for, on average, I would say something like 14 minutes a session, I think. The rest of the time, it's quiet as I ask you a succession of questions. Um, should you want to, there is a microphone icon on the front of your phone and at which point you tap it and you record your answer and later on you write that in your book. And it takes you through this process where you get to know yourself better. But as I said, through the movement, yeah. it helps bring up answers for in a way that if you were just sitting with a journal, I think would be slightly different. Yeah, because it's you're stagnant when you're doing that. Yes. Whereas when you're running, ideas flow. And I always actually love walking with a friend or with my boyfriend or family members or whatever it is. I'm going for a walk because because you're um, sort of side by side. There's no pressure yes. of looking at someone else in the face and having to speak about whatever it might be. So you can have those more difficult conversations and or you know great conversations when you're side by side and yeah imagine that's the same for your therapy on the running therapy yeah most definitely and it's also remember tapping into um the most ancient thing of all which is you know when we were out on the plains and had just come down from the trees whatever that was three million two million years ago we would be shuffling around you know grunting at each other as we sort of went from a to b trying to you know, get some food. And we probably only had a vocabulary of about eight words. But being together and moving side by side and trying to cooperate 
uh, and and communicate how we were going to get that food mm. and what and shelter and whatever else was all important. Made, these were the most important things of all, and these are still the same core concerns today: mm. food, shelter, security, and moving and talking. It's it's writ large into your DNA. Yeah, totally. So you were obviously doing your own therapy and you were running, and were you taking things from your therapy sessions and? sort of running with them or sitting with them and is that kind of how you formed the DRT what was the main reason as to why you thought right this is the angle that I'm going down it was a combination of the two it was a combination of the very early days of noticing that the subjects I brought up in therapy the therapy I was doing with my therapist those subjects I found myself wanting to talk about while I was running mm-hmm. Um, or found themselves they, actually it was much more sort of organic than that okay. they would pop and I noticed how useful they were and then in terms of developing the DRT itself as I trained to be a therapist I and you know you do a foundation course and then you do a two year master's degree and in that master's degree in my case, because I was doing integrative therapy, we touched on every or, or many of the major therapeutic approaches. Okay. And I started cherry picking out the best bits that I thought could work and then trying them out with friends and then with clients. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a really incredibly complex way of doing therapy. Yeah. It's really, for anybody who's really interested, it's, it's humanistic therapy. Mm. It's person-centered therapy primarily with an accent in, in existential therapy as well, perhaps the, uh, the emphasis on choice and mm. agency. Yeah, I love it. I think it's just so interesting. And that's exactly what I did when I got into coaching. I really sort of I cherry-picked from loads of different ways of coaching and, and different nutritional ther- theories. I think that from that, you then really tap into your true authentic self mm. with what really works for you. And then when you're doing what really works for you you're then really able to help other people because it it's natural and it and it's absolutely yeah, the proof is in the pudding basically so. well the proof is in your pudding i think is yeah. the point that yes by that i mean nothing more authentic and more powerful than authenticity and so you are embodying i am embodying the truth our truth the truths that as we have seen them and the bits that are subjective and the bits that are universal uh, existential if you like when we find our clients and we work with our clients, there'll be those clients we work will, well with and those we don't. And the ones we do, it will be because our truth and our story speaks to their story. Totally. And so rather than picking things completely abstractly, it makes sense, I think, to choose stuff that has spoken to mm. ourselves and has, and has made us feel deeply ourselves and the belief that other people will also feel deeply themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. I really love the whole concept and actually you're so right. I should just forget the running thing and just go and do like do it as as I was running but walking because I think I'd find it really, really useful mm. just to kind of be with my thoughts and things and your voice is so calming on the app. I said that to you when I met you. And um, yeah, there's a grounding exercise as well, which is, I believe, to be so important. I think when you're making these kind of changes or you're tapping into things that hurt or things that sort of throw up some confusion or anxiety or depression like remaining grounded and and making sure that you really are focusing Mm. on that is without a doubt one of the most important things so I listened to your TEDx talk and I hugely enjoyed it and there was something that you said in it about taking on the role of being a peacekeeper Mm. in your family because you were the eldest of was it three yeah Uh, eldest son eldest son okay 
and that you said that this made you constantly sort of assess the feelings of others and not sort of take on board your own feelings and I found that really really interesting because I'm actually the eldest of four and I definitely think I used to do more of that I've learned how to manage myself now and put myself a little bit more first than other people to a certain degree anyway but I know when I'm doing my coaching and I'm asking people about this and actually telling people to make sure that they are putting themselves as number one and focusing on I guess it's the whole oxygen mask isn't it before we put your own oxygen mask right. before someone else's yeah. but I just really wanted to ask you about this because I think some people look at me and think why are you trying to take away my personality or my kindness or my this that whatever and yeah I was just wondering whether you had anything to share about your journey with discovering how to bring it back to you and why it is so important to well, yeah, I was leading, listening to Jordan Peterson mm. uh, this morning, who I know is not everybody's cup of tea, but anyway, he was talking about the importance of of, of civil rights and, and authorship. He's got a program around self-authorship, mm. he calls it. Um, I think therapy, in a way, or and any, which is really a, a sort of meta meta version of life, or maybe it's the other way around, shows you that in, in the end of the day you have to take responsibility for yourself you can hope that the universe will conspire to help you and you can put yourself in places that uh, feel nurturing and nurturing relationships but the final piece is the relationship with self and that's going to involve you doing well, if you look at the Buddhists they talk what is it the eightfolded way right speech right this right that but for, for anybody else, it also involves the right for you, the making the right right relationship, right words. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you think. Don't let any thought about yourself go through your head. Start to censor what you allow yourself to speak to yourself. And yeah. you can just carry on like that. And so in answer to your question, which was... Remind me of the piece. Oh, sorry. So basically it was about the sort of peacekeeper and like making sure that everyone yes, else... Yes, and choosing yourself first. Yes, yes, yes realising. Yes. Yeah, no, I say that to my clients too. You will ultimately have to put yourself at the front of the line yeah. every now and then. It's wonderful to be a peacekeeper and a helper. Uh, it's also a great way to avoid a lot of your own work when mm. you're busy working on other people's problems, you know. Uh, so it's also can be thought of as an avoidant activity. But ultimately, the final piece, as I say, is looking after yourself. And that means that not always saying to everybody after you. Don't be an after you mm. person all your life. I mean, if, if it's working for you and you feel fantastic, do. But I would say in a life where you, in a practical world where you're going to have to collect resources... Uh, whatever that may be, love, food, whatever. Every now and then when somebody says in a room, I've got a free piece of cake here, who wants it? Run to the fourth, run to the front and grab it. Yeah. Because everybody should have their turn at that. You have as much value as anybody else. You might want to be strategic about it. Wait till mm. you really need that thing. Or you might just want to play with it and mm. think, What's, what, what does it feel like for yeah. me to put myself first? Yeah. I guess it's all about boundaries and things, isn't it? And um, you have to almost have this grounded, safe sort of little area around you which you are in control of. And then with that safety and security and peace within you mm. and making sure that you are looking after yourself, you are then able to help other people. But rather than sort of keeping 
the peace with everyone else and not even tuning into who you are and what you're doing and what your needs are. Yes, that's exactly right. It's really about sort of bringing it back to you. Yeah, I think I think you can even see something like that in in relate in romantic relationships. Where, well, no, it doesn't need to be romantic. It can be in any kind of relationship. In the moment where you start to do the work for yourself, with yourself, and you start to feel more self-reliant, a stronger sense of self, you can notice that you don't have to run around helping other people, mm. but those people might even come to you for help more, so that you become somebody that people come to instead of you needing to constantly look after them all the time. Yeah. And even in romantic relationships, that might mean that if you're a man, women are more attracted to you or vice versa and that it's not you doing all the chasing all the time. Because, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody and the other person realizes that you're going to chase them every time you upset them or every time you've got a need, then all they can do is just sit there and do whatever they like. And they know it's all going to be you doing all the hustling, right? The moment you're just like, well, I could probably do without you. I'm actually fine by myself over here. Mm. They're just like, oh... Okay. Yeah, but it is also about being actually fine over there rather than sort of playing that kind oh, of, yeah. I guess, game in so many ways. But yeah, it's a really interesting point and it's also one of those things where you'll feel, you you may be doing the same amount of helping when you are helping someone who's asked for your help yeah. as you would be if you were reaching out to them to try and help them yeah. but funnily enough I think it's more draining when you're constantly thinking how can I help that person and that person and that person yes. versus when they just ask for your help because you do you know what I'm trying to say I, I most definitely do which is why I brought up the piece around avoidant behavior because yeah. I think I think that's the dark side of helping people mm. all the time the needy side of helping mm. people all the time is is that I need to I need to help you not yeah. just for you but for me yeah. so I that a, I feel useful yes yeah. I need to be needed I need to feel valuable because mm. actually when I'm not helping you I feel mm. valueless well let's get to the to the valueless or less valuable place yeah. and work on that so you don't so you're helping people for mm. all the right reasons totally 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 and another thing that you mentioned in TEDx talk were the empathy ones. Mm. And I was really interested in this because it was a bit what I, like I was saying about how I love going on walks with people and things like that and chatting. But how, can you just quickly explain how actually this works and yeah, how you would advise someone who perhaps hasn't listened to the TEDx talk to maybe go on an empathy run? Yeah, so an empathy run or it could be an empathy walk. Uh, it, it, the structure is like this, and it's really good for creating intimacy or, or problem solving. Uh, it'll become obvious why. So you find somebody who's of equal uh, willingness and health as you, um, and off you set in a park. Typically, you might do 10 minutes each. I start off by being the one by sh- of sharing. Now, I can share about anything I want. I can change subject if I want. But what's really important is that as you listen to me for 10 minutes, you don't interrupt me. You don't try to save me. You don't try to comfort me. In fact, you don't do anything except just walk. You can go, mm, yes, oh, really? You can do that. And then I get to talk uninterrupted. And I, what's really powerful about that is if you've got a problem with somebody, your partner or something, often we find it really hard to say what 
or even know what it is we're try, really trying to say because we keep on getting interrupted or emotional, triggered by the other person. This get five minutes in, seven minutes in, you suddenly have this eureka moment where you just say, that is what I've been trying to say for eight years. <laughs> I finally, <laughs> finally completed yeah. the, the damn sentence. You know, so it's so valuable for that. And of course, you also get a sense that it's not just of you saying what you need to say, but you start to believe the other person's actually listening. Mm. And a part of that is that at the end of your 10 minute talk, they have to reflect back a very, very short, you know, 10 word sentence reflecting what you have just said. Okay. I heard you talk about and you therefore have comfort knowing that they, they've actually They've had listened. to listen to you. And then you swap roles. Mm. Also and quite interesting, actually, for the, the person who's listening, who then has to explain sort of what they've heard, it's really interesting to then hear back how they yes. perceived it as well. Yeah. Because yeah. you can Sometimes use... you can be in such a model in your head, but... Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's amazing. So it's just 10 minutes for, for the first person, and then you swap, and 10 minutes for the That's next it. person. That's so cool. And how often... So is that... Do you do that as part of... We do you tell that you're... Um, clients and patients to do that as part of their work? Well, I, I say if I hear something in their lives where I th- mm. with somebody else where mm. I feel like that might be a useful opportunity, I'll bring it up. If they yeah. bring up relationship issues or something. Mm. But no, generally I don't. Go for like an empathy walk or run yeah. or something. That's so lovely. And uh, how often do you, like with the app and things, is it, yeah. are, you, are you supposed to be running or walking each day? Or do you sort of say every other day? Or is there any time frame that you think works best on it and you said there were 30 is that 20 20 20 well it depends whether you're doing the mindful walking and meditation or you're doing the therapeutic piece okay if you're doing the therapeutic piece there are 20 sessions of depression say you can do those as often and as many times each as you want to uh, it's totally up to you. It should be organic. And part mm. of that is noting in your notebook or even while doing the se- doing the sessions, recording your answers. It's noticing your process, your reluctance to do it and giving yourself permission to do it. And, and even laughing about the moments where you are, oh, I can't do this today and then doing it anyway or not doing it. Yeah. Uh, that's... Um, as for the empathy walks, well, you can do those as often as you like yeah, or totally. not. Yeah, totally. So, also, I really wanted to speak about the sort of um, male-female thing here. Do you find that the majority of your clients are male or female, or do you have sort of 50-50? Majority of clients are female. Okay. Women seek therapy much more from the men, particularly in this country. Yeah, because I was thinking that this actually could really tap into lots of, like, male clients because it's a bit more of a... You're outside, you don't necessarily need to be going to see a therapist. You can do it on the app. You're outside. People may be running anyway and they can kind of add it in. But, yeah, I was just really interested to know because there's such stigma around around therapy and talking, and yeah. as we all know. But um, No, yeah. that's that's absolutely spot on. I, I've, I definitely really enjoy using it with men, uh, DRT, because of exactly the reasons you say. You can see men being noticeably more comfortable. There's almost a sort of broness about the whole mm. thing. You know, you go out there and we're men to... You're a man, mano to mano talking about these things. And you don't, as you said, we're not facing off, so we don't have that, oh, God, what do I look like? Can, can he see me crying? Can he see the anger? Mm. Can he see the rage? Mm. Um, there's like, no, we get to sort of just channel it into our bodies, which as men is where we're probably most comfortable. Yeah. Um, 
with that. Uh, it's definitely a good place to start. Definitely. And therapy is emotional, you know. Uh, it's not easy. And men are quite right to fear it a little bit more than women, I think, because it's, for the time being anyway, it's more shameful for men to emote. Yeah. We are brought up that way. And so if we can speak without fear of, of too much emotion trickling mm-hmm. out at first anyway, then uh, then it's definitely an advantage. And people with things like boarding school syndrome or people that have been through very rough childhoods mm-hmm. or, or childs of neglect and mm-hmm. divorce, often these people have got the message, particularly young men, that they've got to be tough, they've got to soldier through this pain this, and never bring it up. And I think for that reason, it's particularly terrifying, the thought of finally bringing it all mm. up in front of a therapist. So to be able to run and, and, and get it out as part yeah. of a run is, is a lot easier. Totally. There is actually that huge um, fear around, I've never personally been scared of having therapy and, and facing my problems and things, but I know that there is a definite fear within some people about oh gosh, I can't do it now because work's too busy or I don't want to break now because I'm not sure about this or I'm going away or that's happening or I've got to be there for her or him or whatever it might be. And I think that it's so, yeah, what what do you, have do you experienced that sometimes with maybe not necessarily your clients because they're with you, but people that you speak to and people not really thinking as though it's the right time or anything like that and it just being a bit more, of people basically bottling it and bottling it and bottling it because it's not the right time. Definitely, yeah. Uh, I mean, avoidance. <laughs> we're, all, we're all neck deep in it. I know. Do you have any advice for anyone who might be well, my, struggling with yeah, that? Yeah, my big takeaway in, 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 that I like to leave people with, uh, and I mentioned this in the TEDx, is, is start with small steps. You, you know, part of the avoidance trick trickery that, that that screws things up for you is the belief that tomorrow it'll be there'll be a better opportunity or the perfect opportunity to start this work um you know i'll uh, i'll eat some more today or i'll do whatever i do today that doesn't help me or i'll put off this and i'll put mm-hmm. off that and then tomorrow i'll deal with it the the best way this include writing a book by the way the best way to do it is to start today you're going to edit you're going to in the process of writing a lot of it will be edited out. Um, in the same way, a lot of the work that you do, whatever you're avoiding and thinking you'll do better to tomorrow, don't worry about how well you do it. The most important thing is starting it. Yeah. You can edit down or, or perfect the process some other point. Mm-hmm. Just get the thing started. Yeah. You know, just start doing it and do it in incremental little pieces mm-hmm. that feel doable. Even if that's only what I tell my clients getting out is even if it just means doing an extra 10 meters, Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Just do an extra 10 meters. Or if today all you can do is 10 meters, do 10 meters. And if you can't even do 10 meters, forgive yourself for that. Mm -hmm. But tomorrow do 10 meters. Mm -hmm. Just make it something doable. And from that, you will build a momentum. Totally. And by the third or fourth time you've done it, you'll be surprised at how easy it is. Yeah. And I actually love something that you said, which was, um, however stuck you feel, if you put one foot in front of the other and keep moving, then things will get better. And I think that that is... I mean, it's so it's so true. And it's, it's not about necessarily, like, standing here today thinking I am riddled with, like self-doubt and depression and anxiety and thinking I'm never going to get there or 
I'm never going to feel the way I have before. It's just about taking one step at a time. And like, as you said, just if it's just an extra 10 metres or whatever it might be, but just start today basically yeah. is the best yeah. piece of advice I'm yes, hearing from you. And keep your expectations low. Mm. Don't expect. Yeah. Don't worry about whether you feel great at the end of that 10 metres. Don't worry yeah. if it... There was no hallelujah moment. Mm. Okay, you just just go and do it. Um, yeah. Worry about what it means and how good it is and mm. whether you're any good at it. Worry about that some other point. Okay, Definitely. right now, just get it out. I love it. I really wanted to ask you as this, obviously, I'm too balanced and I'm all about a balance. And I just wanted to know, how do you stay balanced? Like, what are the things which keep you on track, keep you topped up and, and feeling your best self? Well, exercise is a big one. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that exercise, when you feel good in your body, it's fantastic. It also, uh, not just physically, having a body that can do this and can do that easily and feeling that potential and that freedom, but also, of course, uh, it, it, uh, it feeds into all your brain chemistry and you, and, and you have a more positive brain chemistry. So exercise is a massive one for me. I run three times a week on my own account. Okay. My clients don't even run that much during the average session. It's really important that they don't strive during the session, mm-hmm. confusing, you know, an extra amount of running with an extra amount of recovery. It's, it's just the opposite, actually. So, yeah, I would say the average DRT session is maybe only 10 minutes, right, with my clients out of the 50 minutes. Okay. They elect to do what they want. I've come up with the same conclusion for myself in how I manage my feelings, which is do some stuff that's actively really good, the running, even if I don't feel like it, because quite often halfway through or by the end of it, I always feel like it. Yeah. I've never been on a run. I didn't think that was great at the end yeah. of it. I've been on plenty. Of, <laughs> no, I've never regretted a run. I've been on plenty of runs where I had to struggle the entire way through it, but I always knew there'd be a payoff at the end, and the payoff is always there. Uh, and then the rest of the time, it's like, okay, so I've covered the body thing. I've balanced out my body piece. Now what do I do for the rest of me? Mm-hmm. Well, how, where are my anxiety points? And what can I do to address those? Do I need more time by myself? Do I need less time by myself? Mm-hmm. Do I need more activities? Do I need more nurturing stuff? Mm-hmm. Do I need to care for other people mm-hmm. more? Is this a week where I just care for myself? Is this a week I do all the ironing? And I just, over the years, I've learned some better skills at doing that for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and each person will find their own story. And that story changes all the time. But as we said at the beginning of this, uh, learning to make decisions instead of just sitting there and going, I don't know what to do, yeah. <laughs> and throwing your hands up, learning just to do something to, uh, is a really big part. And sometimes, actually, when you are, if, if you do find yourself in a place of being totally and utterly broken with severe anxiety and depression, actually those decisions are so hard to make and actually even because sort of getting out of bed in the morning is is you know you're making a decision to get out but those are the sort of density of the decisions that you are making you know they're not that huge in some ways but for, for some people they're really yeah sure and um and what's his name the chap who's written a great book on depression oh matt haig matt haig in his book he has that list i think in the back of, of the small things you can do when you think you yes. can't do anything. Yes. Make your bed is a great one. Have a shower. Yeah. Quite often people just stay in bed yeah, and yeah, don't yeah. wash themselves. Totally. Just do one thing. You've got 24 hours of depression in front of you. you I'm sure in that 24 hours you can find mm. one thing to do. Move that picture frame exactly. so it's straight. No. Just, yeah, you're so right. Even if it's sort of 
getting outside and getting into the park or fields or wherever it is, like nature is somewhere that can really, really help you feel calmer. Do you know what really upsets me about, and I'm going to say something quite contentious here, which is about the message that's coming from, I get confused in which members of the royal family are still involved in, 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 they're all doing it, I think, but I think Mm. they've broken up their charities. But the message which has been wonderful about breaking the stigma and talking and finding community, that is wonderful, it's great. But all that's missing from that, and I think it's because they're not trained therapists and they're borderline sounding like them, is that it's fantastic to find a supportive community. That definitely works, but it can also be a problem because if you're now in a group of eight other depressed people talking about your depression for the next eight years, you're you're missing out on mm-hmm. the most important bit, the bit you talk about going outside, the bit I talk about making it. What are you going to actually do to change how you feel about yourself mm-hmm. and what you're doing in your life? And what you do in your life mm-hmm. is, is, is highly correlated with how you feel about yourself. Totally. And sitting there talking about it doesn't change enough. So congratulations, Royal Family. Breaking stigma, really good. Yeah. But where's the next piece? What about, you know, what about... Uh, service to your community military service was what we did back in the day you can find other ways of doing service if you don't have a job if you're depressed if you're lost go and do some service nothing will make you feel better than working for a charity or people homes or things like that yes yes so lovely no i totally agree and i think yeah obviously they're doing such a good job in so many ways but yeah there needs to be that sort of connection with something outside of people who are just inside it and so this may be quite similar to how you stay balanced, but your self-care tips. I'm really interested to know, Do you? what are your self-care tips? Well, I think probably time spent with myself, I've learned that if I can, you know, sit down with a book quietly somewhere, particularly on the holidays, it's very nice and find yeah. a quiet moment. Nothing is sort of as quite as nurturing mm. uh, Compare that to watching eight hours of Netflix, you know, with or without anybody else. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really good. I think another piece, you know, every now and then you get out on a dance floor. I'm older than you are, so it happens less often to me than it does to you. But every once a year or something, I get out on a dance floor. And I'm like amazed at how fantastic I feel the next morning. And I'm like, what happened? last night why do I feel so damn good mm. and it's because I was playful dancing. and expressive mm. and doing all the thing at dancing so I, I try to find things that are silly and involve the yeah. body or just dancing or whatever it may be Tosa, you need to get on the dance floor more than once a year. <laughs> yeah, I do, big time. Or, you know, again, there's that drum, African drumming thing where yeah. you can all find... They've got that in London. You can go they and find they? a Brazilian cool. drumming. You put the drum between your legs and there's eight other strange people there. And the whole thing starts... It's weird to begin yeah. with. But within a minute, you start to find a rhythm with these people. And again, a bit like hunter-gatherers three million yeah. years ago, you are now doing what your ancestors have done for three million years and not just any ancestors by the way because this is an interesting point most people don't really think about you particularly you sitting right here Tori are the successful product you know that every single ancestor of yours going back to that first chimp that came down from the from the uh, tree managed to successfully reproduce before they died yeah wow it's nice to think about it like that. Yes, it? you come yeah, from people. a long line of successfully re- reproducing people. If yeah. one of them had decided not to, uh, all the way back for three million years, you wouldn't yeah. be here. 
totally. And I think also it's about really tapping into the things uh, that do bring you joy because that's another way to, not even if you have depression or anxiety, but to prevent yourself from ever yeah. slipping down. And, you know, sorry to really pinpoint this on you but if you're only dancing and finding that kind of joy once a year then like what are you doing you know if you really feel so good so I was away in France this month and I was painting like my um friend's mum bought some watercolors with her and I never ever paint like I used to love painting at school so much but I haven't done it honestly for about 15 years and I was painting and it was just it felt so good so mindful it's so calming it's great I actually I do do a bit of colouring in some things sometimes, but again, like tapping into the things which really do bring you joy that you can go off and do on your own, whether that is a yoga practice or painting or um, sculpturing or pottery or running or dancing or whatever it might be or playing the drums. You just have to do more of it to yeah. keep yourself where you want to be and to keep your playful side playful and forget that actually life isn't just about sort of earning the money and, and and paying the bills and getting yourself from A to B in that kind of sense. You know, here it's here to live and you really oh, have yeah. to oh, do yeah. that and sort of and there are, down a bit sometimes. Uh, yeah, and there are, there are even jobs that feel fantastic, which is a strange idea to a lot of people who are sort of struggling, you know, with some well-paying or not well-paying job somewhere but thinking, God, there's got to be more to life mm-hmm. than me paying off my mortgage and showing up to work every day. You can bizarrely, believe it or not, you can go off and do actually something that feels really good. Mm-hmm. You might get paid less money, yeah. Um, but you might have to take all sorts of risks in terms of, of yeah. losing where you live and the security of the job that you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are all sorts of jobs that, that have really high job satisfaction. Totally. It might be building bridges in Africa. Yeah. It might be, you don't have to go to Africa. You can go, go and do some community service, but paid job looking after young people in your community mm-hmm. or old people or become mm-hmm. a teacher or I don't even know what. Well, that's what we were saying sort of at the beginning of our um, conversation was that actually, you know, when you are doing something from your true authenticity, yeah. that's when you perform better, you feel better, people attract you more. And it's like, actually, all of those people who are working in the jobs, which they really don't enjoy, they're going so against their grain that if they stripped it back and if they perhaps, you know, let's say, like, went on a retreat for a week and didn't speak and they really asked themselves, like, what it is that they truly yeah. enjoy, what they really want to be doing. I've done this so many times with my clients, like, stripping it back and being like, if you, like... I don't know, vases, then go and make vases or yeah. sell vases or whatever it is. Just go go for that. Like, don't necessarily feel as though you have to follow this chain of perhaps where you think you should be or what you should be doing. Almost definitely. And, yeah. you know, part of childhood trauma is it, 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 part of being traumatised, particularly, I think, in boarding school, is this, this sense of, of choosing duty over joy. Yeah. You know, you start to... Th- to normalise the idea that, that, you know, you're not supposed to experience much joy. And mm. somebody like you, joy is not the thing. For you, it's about knuckling down and bloody well getting it done. Yeah. And that's a terrible way to look at life. Totally. And, and it'll probably end up being that way. You know, if you look at... I once read a book called something like The, the Five Most Common Thoughts of Dying People. It was by a sort of hospice nurse yeah. or something. It was, it was really fascinating. It was, I think it easily found, I think I've read it about three years ago. 
Anyway, they're really, they're, none of them will come as a great mm. surprise to you, and none of them can I repeat right now. But roughly speaking, there was, you know, tell people you, you love them while you're still alive. Do things that you want to do. Mm. I mean, nobody on their deathbed ever thought, God, I wish I had less, less sex, mm. or I wish I'd love people less. I wish I'd, you know, I wish I'd done more duty and, and had less yeah. fun. Don't wait till you're on your deathbed to realize that life would have been much more fun spent, you know, doing something fun somewhere nice. Yeah. Because if you do the duty thing now, before you know what's what, uh, you'll be on your deathbed going, God, you know, it's great I've left my, my, my children a house that's mm. worth £400,000 instead of £200,000, but I've had a miserable life doing it. Yeah. And what I've taught them is that they should also have a miserable life yeah, and, and leave their kids. Patterns. Yes. That's when patterns then like really, really form and, and not the right patterns yeah. either. So, yeah, breaking those patterns, that's what we need to... Well, some people need to be doing, I'm sure. Well, thank you so much. It's been so lovely chatting to you. And I find the whole concept so interesting, as I've said. And I just know that everyone else will as well. And, yes, yeah, so the app is the DRT running app. Yes, totally free. Dynamic running therapy It's in the uh, Apple mm. iStore, App Store. Yeah. And I'll uh, link it in the I'll link fantastic. it in the show notes. That's all good. But thank you so much, William, for coming today, and thank you so much for taking your time to Pleasure. chat to us about. Really it. enjoyed it. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you so much for tuning in today and if you're interested in finding out more about DRT then you can download the app in the app store just search for DRT and you can also find William on Instagram at d underscore running therapy as always I would be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast and share with as many people as possible I love hosting my podcast but it's only something I'm able to continue to do if it reaches as many people as possible I can't wait for next week's episode until then stay balanced stay balanced